This week, the Down and Nerdy Podcast is brought to you by Claritin D. And shout out to the folks at Claritin who not just sponsored the show, but also provided some samples as well. Tis the season to breathe pollen. Yeah, I've been spending a lot more time outside. Yeah, I can tell those allergies are definitely acting up. I feel stuffy. I feel sluggish. The eyes are starting to water a little bit more. That's why I'm turning to Claritin D. Look, it's definitely helped me relieve my symptoms. It seems to work really, really fast for me as well. It's designed for serious allergy sufferers. Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongestion in your nose so you can breathe better. And hey, I'm noticing a lot of that right now. As a matter of fact, I'm looking forward to be able to enjoy much more outdoor time this spring and summer. A lot of that has to do with Claritin D. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. of monsters and construction pups it's episode 473 of the down and nerdy podcast i'm james with him you're probably thinking what the hell are you even talking about well i you know i'm gonna be talking about from again this week and i've got piga grafori who plays fatima on the show and aj simmons who plays randall and i know you've been waiting to hear from both of them as we go as we're getting ready for this upcoming eighth episode of from which airs every sunday night on MGM Plus. Yeah, big stuff is coming from both of them, so we'll talk to them about that. I'm also going to talk about a brand new Disney Junior slash Disney Plus show. It's going to be coming called Pop Structure. I'm going to talk to producer Travis Braun about this thing. This interview, by the way, was recorded before the whole writer's strike happened, so don't he's not crossing picket lines or anything like that, but we're going to talk about the brand new show that's going to be coming up this week to Disney Junior and Disney Plus the day after so we'll talk about some pup structure why your kids are going to love that so many trailers to talk about this week i mean the witcher expendables good omens justice league war world there's some ahsoka news some wednesday news as well oh and by the way gonna review a little movie called across the spider verse as well in case you're interested in that so up next gonna be talking about from with a couple members of the cast let's talk talk to pega grafori and aj simmons we'll do that next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Brianne Howie from The Passage, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hard to believe, but we're actually headed towards the season two finale of From. This season has been crazy on MGM+. And I've gotten a chance to talk to so many great members of this cast, and you know every time I talk to somebody, it's for a reason, right? So I just wanted to keep, I want you to keep that in mind as we go through this. A couple of other great members of the cast joining this week. I want to start out with Pega Grafori, who plays Fatima on the show. Obviously, she's had a lot going on recently. Let's talk to her about it. If anybody's under a lot of stress right now, Pega, it's you, it's Fatima, but let's talk about the good stuff first, okay? I asked Cortian the same question. I want to ask you, what makes the relationship between Fatima and Ellis so special? These two kids found themselves in a time where their life couldn't be worse, and they somehow managed to find love in all of the chaos. And I think when when you've been through tragedy and loss and chaos, the way that this town offers it, something forms between you. And whether that's a home or hope, there's no taking that away from them. And I think that's a very strong thing they've got. No matter what this world throws at them, they've always got each other. Oh, we've seen that through and through in this season, especially. So, but Fatima revealed recently in this in this last week's episode her struggle to have children prior to arriving to the town. So how much of that is a factor, do you think, in her kind of not wanting to tell Ellis what's really going on? It has a lot to do with why she doesn't want to tell him. For one, she could be giving to the devil itself. I mean, I don't think anybody would want to be telling anybody that. But she also wants to make sure that before she verbalizes that fact that she is in fact pregnant and it becoming a reality for her, that it is in fact a reality because you know, when you find out that you can't have children, that's trauma that you try to cope with and you try to come to terms with. And when you find out that there is hope again, you're a little hesitant to take it just in case it gets taken away. Not only that, but 
everything in this town happens for a reason. We've learned that for sure. We might not know the reason, but all always happens for a reason. So how much is, I mean, getting to be a new mother is stressful enough. How much does that add to the stress to where she has no idea what to expect and why the town almost kind of chose her in a weird way? Yeah, it definitely adds a lot more stress. She's a child herself. Like she's an adult, but she's a child, especially when you don't have your actual parents around you or Mm -hmm. your guidance, your people that know how it's supposed to go. Pregnancy, like Christy says, is weird enough as it is, but not knowing what it is you're pregnant with, it's, it obviously it adds a lot more stress. Absolutely. Speaking of, speaking of Christy, the support system around Fatima has been incredible recently. How important has it been for her to have Donna, to have Christy, even Julie, to help to help her through this? Because I mean, without them, I don't know where she'd be, honestly. She definitely would be in worse places, and she's already in the worst place ever. So they've been so incredibly good to her. Not even Donna and Julie and Christy, but Boyd and all those other people just Donna is already a mother figure to the, the colony house, but she has a very special relationship with Fatima in a way that she feels like very much her own daughter. So it's going to be really interesting to see how this whole pregnancy goes and what more they can offer, because there's a lot that you don't have answers to, and there's a lot of things you don't have access to. So if anything goes wrong, as much as you might want to help your loved ones, if your hands are tied, your hands are tied. Very true, but Christy's done some crazy stuff. So I, th- I think I think she's in good hands for sure when it comes to that. Christy can figure anything out. <laughs> oh, for sure, no doubt. Now, we do have, we have a wedding coming up, which I'm sure won't be easy to pull off in this crazy town, but your wedding day is supposed to be the happiest day of your life, right? And I'm sure it can be still, but is there a part of her that kind of doesn't necessarily want to look back on that day forever and remember, oh, that's right, we were stuck in this crazy place? Yeah, not only that, but she has nobody to walk her down the aisle like not only does she not have her dad in this town she doesn't have her dad period and it's not like he he passed peacefully it's it's awful her her backstory and her mom isn't there and her friends aren't there and there's there's all she has is is ellis and her frumily parents which to me at least i'd like to think that she thinks of donna and boyd as her own parents and they've been nothing but her parental figures to her but I can, I can only imagine what it would be like, especially if, if it doesn't go well or how well could it really go in a town like this, you know? Yeah. And as well as it can is, is the kind of sucky thing about that whole yeah. thing. But after what happened with Ellis and all the tension, you know, with, with the stabbing and everything like that, how safe do you feel like Fatima feels at Colony House? Now we see that they're back there now. How safe do you think she really feels there? I don't think anybody feels safe in that house anymore. It's like... You know, once the lock is broken, is it ever really fixed? Especially since in this town, nothing is out of the question. But she has she has a sense of, I made this a home. You can't take this from me, no matter how hard you try. So even if she doesn't feel safe enough, I don't think she'll ever show it. In just because she doesn't want to give the town that, she she's going to hold on to her home and her family as tight as she can. She no one, no one's taking that from Fatima. Absolutely not. It helps that she's pretty tough, too. So that that's, that certainly helps. Before I let you go, Pega, we, we saw in this last episode, in a recent episode, you know, Randall's got this crazy theory, right? That somebody on the town's in on it. They're in on the secret. This is all a huge ploy or something like that. How do you kind of feel about the theory? There's so many theories going on on social media, but in the show, that one's a pretty interesting one. What, what, what was your reaction to that when you learned about that? I thought if anybody's going to think that, it's going to be Randall. <laughs> figures but i mean he brings up some interesting points i hope it's not true because everybody's lovely in this town dale withstanding but i just to think that the safety we thought we had is also in question with regards to the people that we learned to trust i just i don't i don't like that especially since donna vets everybody and i'd like to think boyd does the same but before the, the night that they get in and to think that they can fool like the smartest, the two smartest, toughest people in the town, it just makes me really uneasy. Well, we'll have to see if we throw another problem onto the pile every Sunday. That's when you can watch from <laughs> on MGM Plus. And I can't wait to see what's going to be happening with Fatima. Pega, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. 
And I just want that happy ending for Fatima and, and Ellis. Is that too much to ask? I, I really hope that it's not. But somebody that's been stirring things up lately is Randall. And I've been waiting to talk to this guy for a while. Finally got AJ Simmons on the show. Let's see if we can pick his brain a little bit so we can figure Randall out. AJ, man, I've been wanting to talk to you for a while for obvious reasons, dude. So yeah, let's yeah. get started, man. So so I'm 50-50 on Randall at this point. I mean, on okay. one hand, I appreciate him yes. questioning everything. On the other hand, he's he's kind of a jerk. So what's the fan reaction been like for you, though, from, from the Fromily? I mean, you know, it's... Look, Randall is like a specific cup of tea. You know what I mean? Like, you know, and if I was in his shoes, I don't think I'd be too sort of preoccupied with what people think of me, you know? And I feel like, yeah, some people kind of get where Randall's coming from a little bit, but then some people don't like the fact that he's shaking things up and they have their favourites, but Randall just doesn't care, man. Randall, Randall's got his thing. He wants to get some answers and get out. So, yeah. It's a bit of 50-50, as you said, I think. Really. Yeah, I, like I said, I go back and forth, and, and I'm sure that yeah. I, I've seen some of that from fans, too. Now, we've yeah. seen we've seen him speaking of questioning things, whether or not somebody on the town in the town is in on this whole thing. Like, somebody's got to know something's mm. going on. Are yeah. you kind of surprised, though, that nobody's kind of turned that back on him yet and said, hey, you know, you talk about this a lot. What, how, what if it's you? I mean, look, the way I see it, not, these people don't talk to each other anyway. So it's like... Maybe that would be a good question to ask, but you know, who knows? I mean, thing is with Randall, it's like he knows what he's about, right? And he's seeing all these people for what they are. And I think in his in his view, everybody else is a little bit too uh preoccupied with playing house, you know, and he's actually taking a fresh perspective on things. So but yeah, maybe maybe he's part of the thing that he thinks is happening, or maybe not. You just never know. So so let let me ask you this. Do you feel like he in a weird way is one of the more authentic people in the town? Dude, 100%. Like, I'm, I'm see, I, I see the people and these are the characters interacting with. I just, yeah, I think he, what you see is what you get, you know? And I think that's refreshing and it rubs people up the wrong way. But if you ask him a question, he'll give you an honest answer, as we've seen you know, throughout the season so far. You know, he doesn't sugarcoat anything, right? That is very, very true. And, and that <laughs> is one thing I love about him. I will say that. That's yeah. one thing I do love about him for sure. Yeah. So let's talk about what's going on with Jim for a little bit. Because mm. it's been a very interesting dynamic between the yes. two of them. And we see that things are kind of starting to slowly escalate. Do you think he kind of sensed that maybe Jim was a bit vulnerable and decided to maybe start manipulating him? Or was it more of like a common search for answers kind of thing? Because he hasn't been an ally guy up to this point. Yeah, I, I think the thing is with that whole Randall-Jim dynamic, I think Randall can respect the fact that Jim is quite intelligent, you know? And I think given the audience that Jim's given him, he can kind of work out to some degree that there's something mutually beneficial to having that kind of a relationship, you know? And I don't think Randall would be, have relationships with anybody in that town if he can help it. But I think with Jim, there's something that he might be able to get out of it. And if he can get someone singing from the same hymn sheet, as it were, I think it could be yeah, more beneficial. So maybe it's, I don't know if it's manipulation per se, it's more about uh, a mutual interest. That's fair. That's fair. I could see. Yeah. I could see that for sure. Now yeah. we saw the drone get introduced mm. in the picture so far. So yeah, of course, no spoilers. But is this going to be a game changer a little bit? Because I mean, having a drone in a place like this, I feel like could be very beneficial. What I will say is, the drone is useful for these guys trying to get some answers. I will say that up to a point. Yeah. See that he can't say much more, and I know why he can't say much more. <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll get to that later on. I'm sure. So yeah. so. AJ, I love the Randall-Donna scenes. I really kind of can't get enough <laughs> of the two of them. Can you talk about those scenes a little right. bit and what's it been like working with Elizabeth? Because I feel like they've got, they just butt heads so well and I'm all, yeah. I'm here for it. Honestly, man, like working with Liz is great because yeah, just whenever we share the screen, it's never a dull moment, you know? And it's always this high octane kind of pressure. These two characters that are super stubborn and super like, they just know themselves, right? And uh, yeah, I don't know. Every time, every time, just doing, you know, what the writers have written, it's just, I, I like, I just like the drama and it's high energy and it's kind of, you know, it's, it's extra, but it's, it's just fun to play those dramatic moments in life, man. Because sometimes life's pretty boring, right? And just whenever it's like Randall and Donna just doing this, it's like, yeah, it's good. It scratches the itch, you know what I mean? Do you think it's also good because, I mean, we've not really seen too many people challenge Donna on the show up to this point. Do you think it's mm. good to have somebody, you know, get up in her face a little bit, maybe ask these tough questions, even if it, you know, yeah. is, is not maybe the nicest approach? 
Well, absolutely, man. I mean, you know, like any any good piece of drama or whatever, you're going to need some sort of catalyst for, for change or some sort of antagonist, you know what I mean? And then, like, yeah, sh- shaking up the status quo is always fun thing to play but as you know as an audience member myself for various things it's like i like seeing that you know and who knows where that will go oh who knows where that will go indeed i, I do have yeah. to ask you though before i let you go aj huh. there's very few that know that one of the monsters has been killed we we know that but what do you think the reaction would be if that secret gets out especially from randall because i can if he finds out bro like Dude, i mean if yeah, if we're talking character-wise, I think if Randall finds out that these these things can be killed, I mean he's gonna go and get his rifle and be like, right, let's let's suit up and let's go get them. You know, I think I think that's the kind of person that he is. But also on the flip side of that, I think that maybe uh, in order for damage control, it would be more prudent for the townsfolk to not let him know that because you know I don't think he's the kind of guy to listen to authority anyway. But then in that sort of yeah, I think it would just be a recipe for conflict. Let's put it that way, but. Well, neither one of us are going to spoil anything, but I can tell you that this coming weekend's episode is a big one for Randall for sure. Make sure I'm, I'm serious now. Watch this live. Don't don't go on social media and have this thing spoiled for you. It's going to be big. And this guy's got yes. big things coming. I mean, every Sunday night, obviously. But AJ Simmons, yeah. Randall, man, thank you so much for taking the time to chat. I really Thanks, appreciate, bro. It. appreciate it. Take care, man. And I feel like I've been saying this every week for like the past like eight weeks or plus or so just don't not watch this live you have to see this when it actually happens because if you're on social media it's gonna get spoiled for you this week's episode especially is gonna get spoiled for you You don't want that to happen you want to experience it with the entire frumily make sure you're watching from like i said every sunday night on mgm plus i hate the term appointment viewing but it is and you've got to see what's going to be happening in these final few episodes of the season, that is for sure. And this week's is another big one. Again, thanks to Pega and AJ both for joining me this week to talk about From. Up next, we're finally going to get into the Spider-Verse. I'm going to give you my spoiler-filled review of Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. That'll be next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. This is Artist Ficocio, artist of Revolutionaries, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Could it be the greatest Spider-Man movie of all time? Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse obviously been in theaters for a little over a week now. I wanted to wait, though, so I could give my spoiler-filled review on this thing. And you know what's funny? Because as I'm watching, as I was watching this movie, I was kind of, I kind of found, found myself struggling with, okay, is this better than the first one? And that's not a knock on this one. I want to say that immediately. But because I loved the first one, I loved Into the Spider-Verse so much because of how it introduced Miles and how, you know, Miles sort of found his way into being a hero and, and him and Peter together and, you know, the, the the initial, you know, start of the relationship between he and Gwen and that, that was just so great and his family and everything with his mom and his dad. So the the newness of it all and especially the animation style made me love Into the Spider-Verse so much that... It made me hard to love this one more, but I don't know that I can say I love this one more, but I'm going to put it on par with Into the Spider-Verse. So I I almost kind of feel like I have to put them on an even plane. One thing I did love about this was that we got a bunch of different animation styles for a bunch of different spider folks here. Like, especially they, they said it took like two years to get the animation for Spider for Spider Punk perfect, and to get it the way they wanted it, well worth it. Well worth it because it was cool, it was unique, it matched the style of the character, and across a lot of these, it actually matched 
the style of the character, I thought. So so bravo to everybody and all the animators involved in this thing. I wish I could name them all, but like congratulations to, to the animation staff here on, on this movie for Sony Pictures Animation and for Marvel Animation because, wow, I mean, a fantastic job across the board. Not just on the animations, but on the character designs as well. Like even Vulture, like damn, that was that was so nice. That was so cool and so different. And for the time period that that Vulture came from, again, bravo. Now, I don't want to dig into all of the nuts and bolts of this movie, okay? But what I did love was that we go from the newness of Miles and the newness of this of this hero and heroes actually, and this is where the struggles hit, right? Miles is trying to struggle between his his you know his life and his life as a hero. He's trying to struggle with you know being able to see his friends or not. He's trying to struggle with the fact that Gwen has sort of kind of moved on without him in a lot of different ways, and he's trying to reconcile himself with that, and then doesn't agree with him when he wants to save his dad and thinks you know maybe Miguel doesn't have quite the right way. Now Gwen finds her way eventually, but. You know, that he he expects her to kind of back him, you know, and his friends in general to back him. And when he feels like he's out there all alone, you see a change in Miles and it almost forces him to mature immediately. He kind of matured throughout into the Spider-Verse as well and finding his way into being a hero. But this really forced him to mature even more. And, and it was really, really neat how they worked that out. And because they laid such a great foundation in that first movie and in the first part of Across the Spider-Verse, the the emotional moments here, they really hit. They really hit hard. Whether you were frustrated with Miles, you know, for, for everything that was going on with his parents or you were frustrated with Gwen because she wasn't backing Miles' play and, you know, she wasn't being completely honest with him and things like that. Those two together, they built such a strong bond, especially in the beginning where she goes to visit him and, you know, like she puts his head on his shoulder kind of thing. And you're like, oh, my gosh, that's why that's one of the reasons I loved this movie and these characters so much was that pairing. And and then when you see that, I don't want to call it a, a betrayal because I don't think that that's the right way to put it. But when you see her kind of not back him and, and, and you know, of course, the, there's the whole, well, is she was she, was she with Hobie? Did, did, did they have a thing going on? We don't really get into that a ton. But then Miles gets a little jealous of that. And, you know, you see you see more of those human elements come out in these characters. And that's, again, something that I thought really, really worked in this movie. So making it that personal and like making Peter like the annoying dad that always wants to show people pictures of his kids and talk about his kid all the time. And I thought that was great because I mean, I've certainly been that dad at certain points in my life. And if you have kids, you, you might not even notice that you've been that parent at some point in your life. So. The realism in a movie like this, I think, is pretty cool. And I, I want to talk about, though, like the villain situation here, because I actually thought that they turned Spot into a pretty good villain and having that personal connection to Miles and like you made me sort of thing and bringing that conversation into the forefront again, you know, do heroes, are they responsible for the villains that they're fighting? Do they create them? And in this case, yeah, that's kind of what happened. And Miles having to take ownership of that or does he that's the other debate there does he need to take ownership of that and then you look at miguel and the the whole thing with miguel o'hara spider-man 2099 is going into this you're you're watching the trailers and stuff like that like is he the villain in this movie kind of not really but kind of misguided you could make that argument that he's misguided and part of that has to do with his grief and the things that he went through. And they put a reason for that. Just like they tend to do that with villains a lot, right? Where you make the villain relatable. So you go, oh, well, he's a villain. But whereas in this case, it's more of like an anti-hero type situation. And you're like, yeah, he's, he might be wrong. But here's how he got there. Here's how that whole line of thinking came into play. And then once the onion starts to get peeled a little bit. You find out that, well, according to Miguel's perspective anyway, and the perspective of clearly others in this thing, was that, you know, Miles has been an anomaly all, all along. That spider wasn't supposed to bite him. And then trickle down effect, blah, 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 sort of thing. So you get through, you, you get into that thing, and that makes Miles even more of an underdog. And even more of a, well, then why don't I just do 
what I want to do anyway sort of thing. Why don't I change the narrative? And then I thought Gwen's point at one point in the movie was really good when she's like, how do you know for sure that if he does this, it's going to unravel everything? And Miguel never really had an answer for that. So that right there kind of told you how he's kind of kind of blinded by his own grief and blinded by the things that he went through. Like, well, if this happened to me, it's going to happen to everybody, right? And then you sort of see things start to change. Like when Gwen's dad decides to quit the police force, he's not a captain anymore. So that cannon event, which I love that they call a cannon event, that never happens now. So her dad gets saved because of that. And one of the reasons like her leaving and and revealing her secret to her father and him not taking it well and all those other things that led to that decision by him. And by the canon event, he was supposed to be the one that dies. Now, does that mean another captain dies? I guess so. And does that make the canon event still matter? I don't know because we don't, we don't actually see that happen. So, I think that it's important to kind of make these questions going into this thing. And as we go in to what the next movie is going to be, which by the way, I wish they'd kept the part one in the, in the title, because there were a few people in my theater when I was watching it saying, that's it. That's it. Well, you know, it used to be across the spider verse part one, and there was going to be a part two. So when they took that out of the title, I think it confused some non hardcore fans that aren't super paying attention. Now, most of us knew that already, and I knew that going in, so I wasn't frustrated by it, but some people kind of were, and does that, make, does that keep this from getting a perfect score from some people? I think it does. So, and I thought it was interesting, too, that I'm to completely switch back narratives is that you had all of these spider people involved in this movie, and yet it didn't feel crowded, and it could have easily felt crowded because there's no, there's no shoulder room in the spider society at all. You, there, there's spider people everywhere in this thing. And everybody got their little, not everybody, but most characters got their little cameo moments. Some got a little more than that. Obviously, Jessica Drew was a big part of the story. And I loved her relationship with Gwen in this movie and how much Gwen idolized her. And then you sort of kind of see that get called into question a little bit as as, as Jessica starts to agree with Miguel. And Jessica was just cool. There's just no denying that. Jessica was cool in this movie for sure. So you get some of that. In there as well, you know, there's some characters you know I didn't quite care for as much, you know, like like Ben. I've never been a Ben Riley guy. Sorry, I'm just not a Ben Riley guy. But you saw what they kind of did with him, which I thought was kind of funny. You saw the, you know, the anomalies that were caught. You saw Donald Glover's character in there, which I thought was kind of fun. But one of the best things about this movie was the twists at the end. And normally I don't do, I don't talk about this. So spoiler, it's I already said this was a spoiler-filled review. So what the hell? When we get that reveal at the end, first of all, that Miles is in the wrong universe. And I thought that was a great call back to him not supposed to be the one that got beat by the spider on the, in the first place because it wasn't from his universe. So I loved that callback that kind of sent him when the, when, the, when the match sent him to the wrong universe. That made so much sense. And I thought that was a cool twist. And then to on top of that, find out that the Miles of this universe is Prowler. And, it's, and he's working with his uncle. That, to me, was a killer reveal and a great setup for this next movie. Because now you've added a third foil into the mix, right? So you've got Miguel. You've got Spot, who obviously still needs to be dealt with. And now you've got this Prowler version of Miles where they're stuck in this dimension. And, by the way, still needs to save his dad. Or will Gwen do that? And you see Gwen assemble her team there at the end. As well, So there was just so much going on here to push the story forward, first of all, to kind of not just push the story forward into the next movie, but throughout this movie as well. They did a great job telling this story. And just for such it's such a young age, your your willingness to root for Miles and just I think his family is part of the reason for that. His family dynamic and his support system is so strong. And it's so refreshing to see that. And they don't even know he's Spider-Man yet, right? And he kind of tries to reveal it towards the end. They don't even know he's Spider-Man yet. And they're just supporting him even when they're mad at him. And that's something we don't get to see a lot in superhero movies, period. So to see him get that kind of support, I think was really neat. And then 
you're like it's it was refreshing to me and watching that and even that made me not want that made me want to root for him even more as well was the support that he got from his family because I'm like I already want good things for Miles but now you you see this for his family and you obviously don't want anything to happen to his family so that pushes that forward as as well so this movie checks all the boxes of things you're supposed to do right in a superhero movie especially when you're talking about one that has more than just one main hero to focus on because you've got to focus on Gwen and her relationship with her family which was entirely different until the end you've got Miles and you've got all these other moving parts going on around them with these other spider people now coming into the mix and adding Miguel in and you know adding Spot and then the mix as well and all these characters that you want to see because you, you love them and you want to want them to get their time and they certainly did so this is how you check the boxes of what you're supposed to do when you're doing not just a superhero movie but a sequel to an uh, to a superhero movie that people already loved in the first place and again more proof that animation works for all ages that is something that I think I, I want to hammer home because animation's always had this stigma attached to it it's like the animation's not a major motion picture unless it's Disney and it's family friendly and fuzzy and there's a lot of thing and there are there is some of that in across the spider-verse but this is a very adult movie that also kids can enjoy and it do, it doesn't have to be the other way around all the time so I think that we need to start taking animation more seriously and I kind of hope that turtles mutant mayhem forwards that even more even though I think that is going to be geared more towards kids but it's time to start taking animation more seriously. And if these two Spider-Verse movies won't tell you that, I don't know what will. So let's start doing that. And I can't wait for this next chapter in the Spider-Verse movies. I think that this is a story I can't wait to see move even more forward. And can they can they match this up and get the magic back again for a third, third movie? Not a lot of franchises have been able to do that. And if I think any, any one of them can pull it off, it's this one. That's going to do it for my spoiler-filled review of Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. See it. Love it. This is one I think you could see multiple times for sure. Up next, going to talk about something that is kid-friendly and family-friendly for sure, and that's a new Disney Junior series, Popstruction. I'll talk to Travis Braun, who's one of the producers, writers on the show. I'll talk to him all about it next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Tara Strong, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. June 14th, that is the day that you're going to be able to get into a little bit of Pupstruction on Disney Junior. Also going to be available on Disney+. Plus. I was so excited to talk to this guy about this brand new show. He's the writer, producer. You've heard this name before about many, many things. Travis Braun. Travis, how you doing, man? James, I'm doing great, man. It's so awesome to talk to you. Anytime there's anything with dogs, Travis, I'm in. I don't. I'm, I almost don't even care what it is. We love dogs in my house. I have three kids. We all love dogs. So, what came into the decision? You know, you're putting this show together. You're like, you know, let's let's do a show about a little bit of pup structure. How did this all come about? Yeah. So I also love dogs. I grew up with two chocolate Labradors. They were puppies when I was a baby, and so we grew up together. And so I try to put dogs into everything I do. That was definitely important in this, and it's really really inspired, you know, by my childhood. I, I grew up working with my family in auto racing. We had a family race team and we got to like build stuff together and make stuff and, and work with tools. And so I kind of took those two things and, and smashed them together. And that's how you get Pupstruction, dogs that do construction. And it's about this family run, you know, construction company. And it, it shows that, you know, building sort of brings this, this family together. It's what they connect over. It's what my family connected over. This might seem like a silly question, but I've always wondered this about shows that are that, like yours that are similar to this. How on earth do you choose what types of dogs that you bring into a show like this? Is it based on like some sort of skill set or because I'm just thinking, okay, I, w- I wish I could see X, Y, or Z type dog in there. And you guys actually have a really good variety, I think. Well, thank you. I, look, our the leader is a little corgi named Finny. I love corgis. I think their backsides are hilarious, and so that's a big portion of you know why we why we went with the corgi. But also just you know the the show centers around Finny and his he has this dream of 
being a construction pup, but he's tiny, he's small, he's this little corgi, all these other dogs are a lot bigger than him. And he feels, you know, like he might not be big enough to do construction, but he learns that it's not about how big you are, it's about how big you dream. And that's sort of the heartbeat of this show is that every episode, this little corgi, you know, he comes up with this kind of big, crazy, wild idea and gets to create this solution to whatever they're working on in, in sort of a kid way. You know, I was I was that kid that I loved Legos, but I never followed the instructions. I'd get like a fire truck, oh, you know, set and I never. would I would smash it and I would make a red <laughs> spaceship instead. You know, I didn't want to build a firehouse. That's this show is I really wanted to do a show that like let kids play and just show like what if a kid ran a construction company, what would they build? You know, they wouldn't build a bridge. They would make it a Ferris wheel that let people go over the water instead. You know, that that kind of just like kid wish fulfillment and play and fun that I grew up doing. Kind of to piggyback on that, is that kind of what sets this show apart to other shows that are similar to it? Because obviously not just recently, but throughout the years, we've seen similar shows, similar themes, maybe even some similar characters. Do you feel like what you kind of were just talking about, does that set this show apart and make it unique in this space? Yeah, look, I think what makes our show really unique is that it is at the end of the day about imagination. And I think kids, we're hoping kids show up to see what is that big idea that Finney has, that kid that kid wish fulfillment. You know, we're we're not just a construction crew that will build a, you know, that will build a bank. We're gonna build a piggy bank in the shape of a pig for one of our pig characters. Like it has that, there's an element of whimsy. We don't take ourselves too seriously. And I think that makes us stand out. And I think it, you know, it's it's the thing that Disney does really well, right? It's music, it's heart, it's this idea of a family construction company that definitely feels like it makes us our own thing where we're taking these two these two sort of ideas and uh and putting them together you know this idea that we're we're doing construction and sure we're you know laying concrete and we're setting bricks but we're also singing songs and we're telling you know emotional stories and we're telling stories about teamwork and about you know helping others and imagination and creativity and sort of all these things that make Disney Disney. So I think that makes us specific. And also the fact that we're an all pet world, you know, it's a show. We have a lot of fun just leaning into that, that, you know, we're not just everything we build has some purpose for cats or goldfish or dogs. And, and, you know, we get to, we get to really play around with all of our characters, not just driving a dump truck, but also, you know, reminding audience that, hey, they're dogs. And if a tennis ball bounces by, they're barking at it and chasing after it. And that's something that we always want to make sure is is in the show is that sense of fun and just, you know, whimsy. I actually love that you did that because so many shows force humans into situations like this. And it's just not needed. And this show proves it's just not needed all the time. So bravo to you for that. Thank you. Yeah, we just, we didn't, it was never... It was never a consideration of of humans. I guess you know. I, I, I my previous show Tots that I created was there was no humans in that world either. I just I don't think I think in terms of of humans. I I I have so much so much fun with we're doing an animated show. Why would I want to show a human? Like I want to I want to make it. You know I want to do something about a penguin or a flamingo or dogs or you know mm-hmm. really use what animation allows us to do, which is to tell stories about worlds that don't exist but we can make them exist. We just get in the way anyway, Travis. So it's fine. You know, the, the, exactly. the animals are probably better off. Honestly. How many times have you heard people say that uh, humans are not worthy of dogs, that dogs oh, are, that is, are better? That is 100% true. So <laughs> let's get rid of those humans. Let's just make a show about the dogs. No doubt about that. I also love that you, you have so many great themes in this show, I think. And, and so many times you go into an animated series and so many people are like, well, you've got to have a foil. You've got to have like the the good guy, bad guy dynamic. Do you kind of feel like your show, the foil is more like the situation more off, more so than like an actual like like animal or, or other kind of, of, of being or something. It's sort. interesting you say that. It's sort of both in this series, right? So it's it, there, are, there are a lot of things that tricky builds that we come up across, you know, having to build a giant bridge or to plug a dam because, you know, there's a hole in it and there's there's things that just natural kind of emergencies that happen around town. But we also have a really silly villain voiced by Bobby Moynihan in Lickety Split. They're an all-cat yep. construction company. They are hilarious and bumbling. And Bobby is extremely jealous of Pupstruction and wants to be a great builder like they are. But he's not because 
he spends all of his time just trying to sabotage whatever Pupstruction is building. And we have a lot of fun with, with them and also just playing, you know, the fact that they are cats and everything that, that goes along with that. I, it just, they just struck me as more goofy than villainy to me. That's why I, I almost didn't even see it that way. I'm like, they're just, they're just goofballs. <laughs> It's, more than more so than anything else. And the thing that we love is the more that Bobby tries to sabotage Pupstruction, the more he actually inadvertently helps them. He's that right. bad at what he does. So it's um, like it's like collaboration through potential destruction, yes, sort of thing. Exactly. <laughs> no doubt about that. So talk about your cast here for a second, because you're obviously you're blending a younger cast with more experienced cast. So, you, so, so you've got younger cast members, but then you've also got names like Eric Bowser and Kari Walgren and, and people like that. So how do you go and blend those two things together? Because you've got such great experience on one side and on the other, you might have experience, but you're also working with younger younger voices as well. It's a testament to Disney casting. Uh, Dave Wright helped us assemble this great cast. As you said, we have a lot of great veterans, but yeah, we're bringing in a lot of fresh talent to voice these pups. And it was important to us to have them voiced by actual, you know, kids, because you cannot replicate that energy that an actual kid brings, brings to the role. And we have an amazing cast led by Jonas, who plays Finney. And he, you know, he's our leader. He has that kind of lead energy, but everyone, everyone we cast is so much that the, the character, you know, we just, we, we really found kids that were again you you can't fake some of these things and so we really wanted to find kids that were like their character and I, I think you know I really think we did in that aspect Tank is voiced by this hilarious kid Carson who just cracks me up he's not even trying to be funny he's just you know he's just a goof goofy silly kid that you know loves food himself and uh and you know is very very much like our our Tank and Luna you know is is voiced by this amazing actress Mika who's just She's silly and goofy and spontaneous. Uh, Roxy's voiced by Scarlett Ferguson, who she is, she's one of the coolest people I know. She's, you know, she's a wheelchair user like Roxy, but she loves to do archery and horseback ride and is just like the craziest kind of, you know, rough and tumble gal and is so much like, like our Roxy. So we love our cast and I, I think they're a huge part of why those characters have come to life. As you should, as you should. Now, as a father of three, sometimes it amazes me the kind of ideas that my kids will come up with on the fly. Like, I'll, like I'll, I'll say, let's do this and we'll start playing. And all of a sudden, my kid, one of my kids has such a good idea. I'm like, oh, well, okay, let's just do that instead. So you go in with these scripts, Travis. And have you ever had a moment where you say they embody their characters? Have you ever had a moment where you actually were actually shooting an episode, you're voicing it, you go, you know what? They're bringing this energy. Maybe we should try it this way as well and see if that works out. Absolutely. With, uh, with Roxy, Scarlett was a big part of, of sort of figuring that character out. And, you know, one of the things we love about Roxy is that she is a demolition dog. She loves her wrecking ball. She loves her jackhammer, but she also loves pink. And yes, you know, she loves tutus and, you know, she's, she's this duality of kind of these things that don't really go together. And we love that about her, that it, it makes, it's this comedic thing where she loves to dance, but she'll dance with a sledgehammer and break whatever yep. she can as she's dancing. And so, yeah, she was a big part in, in, helping us craft that character. And as all of them were, I mean, once you start to hear some of the voices in those first couple episodes, I took a lot of that back to the writer's room and went, okay, here's, you know, Bobby Moynihan is so great at this. Let's make sure and write to that. And you hear some lines that just crack everybody up and you go, okay, you follow that guiding light. Talking to Travis Braun about pup structure, which you'll be able to see on Disney junior and Disney plus well, eventually on Disney plus, but on Disney junior on June the 14th, Travis, I, th this is hard because they're all your babies. I get that. But do you have a favorite episode or a favorite couple of episodes that you're really looking forward to for fans to see without kind of spoiling anything? Yeah, well, I will say there is um, in our first episode, the second part of it, Roxy is faced with her biggest challenge. She thinks she can destroy everything, but she's faced with a boulder that is indestructible. And it's so fun to watch the pups try to figure out a way to break this boulder and build this skate park. And it's it's a simple episode, but I really love it because it just shows it allows us to show who these characters are in the way they think and the way they interact with each other. And it's just fun and simple. And I hope, I hope kids feel the same way. I'm sure that they will. You talked about songs earlier and obviously it's Disney. So music's going to be a big part of anything you do at Disney, but how do you figure out how and when to slip songs into certain episodes and certain situations, because you don't want to do like song for the sake of song, right? So how do you decide when and where 
to use these songs. That is a great point. And that is something that we, we've really held ourselves to with this show is you have to earn a song. You have to make sure that this moment is actually worthy of a song because we won't, we're, we don't put songs into spots that don't need them just to hit a quota. So there's a suit up song in every episode when we go on a mission, there's a building song, those songs are recurring, but we have a lot of original songs and that's just moment to moment. We just, you know, as, as a writing staff, we kind of figure out you know, where, where that spot is. And some episodes, you know, if it doesn't feel right, we don't, we don't put it in, but some episodes there's three songs, you know, in an episode. And it's just, it's just really based on does that moment actually merit our song or not? And we have an amazing songwriter, Rob Cantor, who he could write an amazing song in any moment of the show, but we don't try to kill him. We try to space that out and make sure that we're really, you know, we're really making sure those songs do what Disney songs, you know, Disney been doing forever is, is that music needs to be iconic. It needs to be stuff that people sing along to and, and you know, want to sing to in their car. And so we really make sure those songs are important. Travis, before I let you go, obviously we're geared for kids two to seven here. I understand that. But as a dad, I'm expecting to have to watch this show a lot over and over and over again. So as a parent, I want you to speak so. to parents. I want you to speak to parents for a second. Why, it, why am I going to not be driven nuts by the show and love it so much right along with my kids? Look, we don't take ourselves too seriously. And I hope that is something that kids can appreciate, but also parents can appreciate. You know, if you, if you have a dog, if you have a pet in your life, if you have a cat, you will hopefully recognize some of that behavior that's just so silly and so fun and, you know, is embedded in every moment of this show where you're not just watching a construction show you're not just watching an action show you're watching a show where those elements are in there but at its core it is it is aware of what it is and it's just we just want people to come and play and and have fun for 30 minutes and and laugh and i hope we can do that for kids and i also hope we can do that for parents and and that like i said the idea came from me and my family and how sort of building connected me and my family. And I hope, I hope this is a show that can connect families that, that parents and kids can find something that they both like about it. And we can bring them together for 30 minutes. Then, then we'd be a success. And we'll find out for ourselves on June the 14th on Disney junior. That's when you'll first be able to see pop destruction. You can also watch it again on Disney plus. I'm sure you'll be watching it again and again and again. And one of the reasons is this guy right here, Travis Braun. Thank you so much for your time, man. I really appreciate it. James, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate talking to you. And it's those subtle little differences that I think is going to make all of the difference for a show like Popstruction. Plus, I mean, if you could find another fun and relatable show that you can watch with your kids, they learn something, they have a little fun, and it's a family bonding moment. That is never a bad thing as a dad. I can tell you that for sure. That's certainly something that I look for in a new show. And I think pop destruction can be just that makes sure you watching it on Disney junior starting on June the 14th, also coming a few days later on Disney plus. I did want to point out this interview with Travis was recorded like weeks ago. So he's not like crossing the picket lines of the, of the WGA strike or anything like that. Don't worry about that. I just want to make sure that that was a point that I made, but can't wait to see pop destruction on Disney junior and Disney plus. I think it's something you and your kids are definitely going to enjoy together. Again, thanks to Travis Braun for joining me to talk about Popstruction. Up next, hey, how about we dig into a little nerd news? There were some big trailers and a whole bunch more. It's coming up next. I'm James Witham, and this is the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Rick Remender, comic book nerd of note, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. War seems to be the word of the week this week. It's time for nerd news. And the reason I say that is because there's a lot of trailers this week that either deal with a war that's coming, trying to prevent a war, or actually has war in the title. So let's get started. This week was Summer Game Fest, and The Witcher Season 3 live-action trailer from Netflix was dropped there. You know, this is going to be in two parts. First part coming out on June the 29th, the next part coming out a month later. And what we really see here is, is obviously Geralt has Ciri in hiding. You've got Yennefer training her for her, her, her magical wizardry, and you kind of get to the point where you realize, okay, well, you know, you can't hide her forever, because this war is going to be coming, whether you like it or not. And she seems to be at the center of the whole thing. That was kind of the gist of the trailer. So then you see, you know, various action sequences, the scariest armadillo I've ever seen, and, and various other things. And what we really see is, slowly but surely in the trailer, it seems like Siri's starting to get her act together. And I say that in, in saying that 
You know, her fighting skills seem to be improving. Her magic slowly seems to be improving. Her confidence slowly seems to be improving. So that kind of what is what was showcased more than anything else in this trailer. We know that this is Henry Cavill's last hurrah as Geralt. So I think they kind of want to go out with a bang in season three. And it seems like there's a little bit of diplomacy going on here as well, which is something that Geralt is not really, you know, awesome at. We know that from from past experience and, of course, you know, throughout the games as well and things like that. So, yeah, I think that this one obviously is going to it's going to move this story over to, to it's kind of going to kind of turn over to a new leaf. What I mean is, is it kind of feels like this is leading us to a conclusion of one story in the start of another sort of thing. Right. So we'll have to see how season three plays out and splitting into a couple of a couple of parts like they did with the last season of Stranger Things. I don't think is that big of a deal at all, especially since they're not spacing them out too far apart. But it gives you something to talk about. It keeps the buzz going. So I think that's pretty smart. And we'll see that starting on June the 29th. We also had the fourth, the first trailer for the fourth Expendables movie that is coming out from Lionsgate. That's going to be happening on September the 22nd. And yeah, you've got Sylvester Stallone and company and basically every action star known to man is going to be in this thing. And Jason Statham and Megan Fox, though, their relationship in this trailer. I love that. I'm all here for it. There, there's heat, there's action. And, and it's just it's it was my favorite part of the whole trailer. And, and what we basically got is a whole lot of action, you know, introducing us to some of the new members of the cast and, you know, bringing back classic members of the cast as well. We find out, you know, terrorists have nuclear warheads. The team needs to stop them. Or of course, yeah, World War Three. Like I was saying, war. And that's just it, though. You get, okay, yeah, here's the plot. And then, you know, watch stuff blow up and watch people shooting at each other and, and, and kicking at each other and stuff like that in the acts. That's basically what this winds up. That's what the Expendables movies are, okay? You give us, you give us whatever the objective is and let's go. It was actually funny. It was like the opposite of the Fast and Furious movies, right? Sylvester Stallone at one point says in the trailer, hey, you give up your friends and your family for this life. So it's like, oh, the opposite of Dom's theory. Let's, you know, forget family. You know, let's just try and keep each other alive sort of thing. I thought that was kind of kind of funny. It was like the anti-fast kind of approach to this whole thing. But, I mean, you're either in this for the action or you're not. And, I, and, I'm, and I've seen all three of the other movies and enjoyed them for what they were. So, yeah, let's go. Let's run it back again. And see if we can get a fourth movie out of this thing. The second season of Good Omens is going to be hitting Prime Video on July the 28th. And every time I see a July, late July release, I'm thinking, oh, Comic-Con. Got to keep an eye on that one for San Diego Comic-Con coming up. And yes, David Tennant and Michael Sheen are back. And they make such a great pair. And you see how well they team up together in this trailer again. And basically what's happening here is Gabriel's gone nuts. He's on Earth. Crowley and Aziraphale realize, okay, we've got to hide him at some point. We, we, we can't let anybody get to him. And, you know, heaven's looking for him and hell's looking for him. And, you know, maybe they've started a bit of a war there as well with Gabriel's absence, you know, and being on Earth and nobody knows where he is sort of thing. And it's just not necessarily hijinks because I think that that's, you know, kind of low barring it a little bit. But just the stuff that happens around these two is incredible, and and I th- I'm certainly interested to figure out why Gabriel has, you know, kind of lost himself a little bit. It's almost like he's completely forgotten who he is in the first place. So that will be very very interesting. But this was, I mean, this first season had high stakes, especially there at the end. But there was a lot of fun to be had between these two lead characters, and I'm I'm just I'm just here for that, and whatever the story is around it. I'm going to be with it because the the chemistry between David Tennant and Michael Sheen was so amazing in season one. And this trailer looks like season two is going to pick up right where it left off. Like at the beginning when Crowley says, I'm back and he and and Zierfeld is kind of like, yeah, okay, I see that. That's just kind of the dry kind of human relationship that they have. So it's just it's so much fun. Good Omen's going to be another great season. I'm sure July 28th is when we're going to see that. Did you know that there was another new Warner Brothers animation DC movie coming? Justice League War World, which is going to hit DVD and Blu-ray and 4K and all that stuff on July the 24th from Warner Brothers Animation. And this is basically, yeah, you've, you've got the world. If you've been watching the DC animated movies recently with Wonder Woman and Batman and Superman. So those worlds are, are kind of colliding in this one. 
and they all get kind of transported to War World. You know, this is kind of a loose Justice League at this point anyway, and they end up in War World, which puts them under the completely different circumstances. The stakes are higher. You know, it's almost like a kill or be killed type of situation here. And, you know, you have to find out how far they're willing to go. And, you know, are they going to be able to lead this place to freedom or not? But the combat style is going to be different. The combat surroundings are going to be different from anything that they've been used to recently. So it's almost, it's it's a very different Elseworlds-ish kind of thing. And and you see like, like, a, like a cowgirl t- style of Wonder Woman and they run into Jonah Hex at one point. You almost see like a more of a gladiator Batman and Superman. You get to see him more in, in the poster, especially you get to see him as Clark Kent, which I think is kind of interesting. You know, kind of this is an odd time to, to want to be reporting or something like that. But also you get him suited up as soups as well. So we'll just have to find out where this thing goes. It's supposed to be rated R. The The trailer didn't look all that rated R-ish, but, you know, I don't think they're going to put that in the trailer. Unless you release a red band trailer, why would you do that in the first place? But this this one teases to be a little bit more bloody and gory than we're used to. And it's got an amazing cast that's been put together that's been that's that have been in this these roles for a little bit now so yeah i'm I'm anxious to see where this one goes in, on july the 24th that is justice league war world got another release date for you but nothing nothing really new as far as footage was concerned that is ahsoka the series going to be streaming on disney plus on august the 24th we actually got a little bit you know a little bit of a teaser but again nothing really new just the you know the same stuff that we saw in the original trailer, so I won't rehash that. But I will tell you that I've actually started, and I did this because of Dave Filoni's recent recent announcement of the new movie that's going to be coming up. I started, I finally decided to jump into the Era of the Empire books, the Star Wars Era of the Empire books. So I'm, I'm listening to it on Audible, actually, because, you know, I with the three kids in the house, man, I have no time to, like, read anything except for comics. I'll read a few comics a week. And that's basically what I can do. So I figure, okay, the only way I'm actually going to finish this thing in a timely manner is if I listen to it. So I've been listening to Heir to the Empire. And the more I listen to it, the more and more I get intrigued by Grand Admiral Thrawn. And he's going to be one of the main focuses of this Ahsoka series, obviously. And, you know, if you're not familiar with Heir to the Empire, I won't get into it too deeply. Google it. It's, it, it's a great story so far. I'm about halfway through it right now. But it's very Thrawn-heavy. It's about five years after the events of Return of the Jedi and the Battle of Endor specifically. So, so yeah, that, that's kind of where it's set at. But, you know, it, it's giving me a whole new opinion of Thrawn. Now, I already had one based on, you know, the animated series and stuff like that. But this one d- just digs a little bit deeper in his personality, especially. So how he's going to be portrayed in this series, I think, is going to be really interesting. And it really it, it props him up even more for me. Than it already did. I was already convinced that he was, you know, he should be the target sort of thing. He should be the focus of this thing. But now I'm, I'm convinced even more. So, yeah, if you haven't, I, that'll be a recommendation for me. If you haven't had, you know, people talk about watch these episodes of Rebels, Rebels, watch these episodes of Clone Wars, grab these Air to the Empire books, because that's one of the reasons I started it. And I'm hoping to I'll finish the first one by August, but I'm definitely hoping to finish the next couple as well. Before then, too, because I think that's really going to give me a lot of insight into this upcoming series as well. Wednesday, speaking of series, looks like going to be a little bit different in season two. And and Jenna Ortega was just recently interviewed by Variety. And she said, yeah, we're ditching the love story in season two. And we're going to focus more on the horror in the show. So she said, you know, the love interest stuff, that's that's over. So for you shippers out there, and yes, I'm talking to you. I know that this upsets you. I know that this is not news that you necessarily wanted to hear, but this is what this show needs to be. And that's something that you need to hear for sure. I understand why you were excited. I understand this was diff- very something very different for Wednesday, but you know, you know, you always explore when you're in school, right? With your romantic life and stuff like that. So we got to see that from Wednesday and it doesn't look like we're going to go back to that anytime soon because we don't she doesn't need to be defined by that and quite frankly you know it was starting to define the story of the season when you had another story that was more compelling and should have been more of the focus of the show in the first place and I mean it really was but at the same time the relationship aspect of the show was really starting to distract it 
from the main focus, and it was and it was more tied in to the ultimate reveal of the season that it probably should should have been. So I like that we're kind of ditching that in season two and focusing more on the horror aspect because you know I don't think this show needs to be hardcore horror either, but it should be a lot creepier than it was. I mean, it was a little bit too lighthearted, and that's the only. It's not even a criticism. It's just I loved the show, and I think it was almost perfect. But if the only, if I could have had one criticism, it's like, yeah, that relationship stuff, we focused on that a little bit too much. And, yeah, I was taken and intrigued by it a little bit too, but that wasn't the main thing I was focusing on, and that's not something that should be defining the character of Wednesday Adams in the first place. So the fact that they kind of pushed that to the back burner and not really focus on that for this upcoming second season I think it's refreshing, and I think this is going to be exactly the direction that they need to go. Now, when are we going to see season two? Don't know. Nobody knows. I don't think it'll be for at least a year. So we'll have to see how that goes. But yeah, season two of Wednesday, going to look very different than it did in season one, and I'm fine with that. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Again, I've had some amazing guests this week. You can find out more details on the show at downandnerdypodcast.com. Always follow along on social media at Down and Nerdy 757 on Twitter and Instagram, at Down and Nerdy on Facebook, at Down and Nerdy Pod on TikTok. And, you know, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. That always helps out a ton as well. Remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd, so let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.